it's made me so much more confident with my playing because I'm not the only one that does this and I follow so many of my friends who do the exact same thing and yeah I think the best way that's helped me helped me is with my confidence but also realizing that I can learn so much more from other people. This is not your average musician podcast with me, Isaac Hernandez, and the tumultuous Dalton McLaughlin. That is such a good word. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I remember. I mean, this is a, I'm. I don't. I don't remember if you asked me how I'm doing. You just called me tumultuous, but I remember learning that word. I want to say in like fifth or sixth grade, because you know, like it means like kind of like creating like chaos mm-hmm. you know like that and like that i just remember being a kid and you know you're, you're learning new words that are like cool that you might read in a book that kind of confuse you mm-hmm. like tumultuous was one me being like ooh, what a cool word that like you know some of like your other fifth grade or sixth grade buddies won't know um that and like commence like mm-hmm. i'm gonna commence this tumultuous battle amongst blah 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 and Just- they're like wow it's just aka for Dalton likes to stir the pot here and there, but you know, all good. How's it going, man? Um, pretty good. I guess mm-hmm. I'm stirring pots, so that <laughs> that's always fun. Um, that that's it. Just grinding away. I don't know if there's anything new, crazy with you. Nothing super new, man. Just kind of grad program is well on its way, and um, the podcast is alive and kicking. And thank you for all the new listeners that we have we had we've seen the numbers go up a little bit so wherever you are wherever you are thank you for listening and we have a great episode today we have um a double bass orchestral player from london phoebe clark coming on which we haven't had someone from the classical world in a bit i know we had them when you first came on but Mm -hmm. now uh she's really cool she's got a cool instagram and she she's she had a lot of great tips for us today so which was cool but before we get going dalton's yeah. got to do a thing you know if you're enjoying the podcast you are enjoying isaac and myself as well as the guests we are bringing on um you guys can listen so if you want to have a career in the music industry we have weekly interviews with professional musicians who give tips and advice about what it takes to succeed make sure you hit that subscribe button we're streaming on all platforms as well as YouTube. Please help us grow the podcast by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's incredibly helpful. And as always, we'll love you forever and ever and ever. <laughs> and yeah, no, the, the podcast is starting to buzz a little more. So that's exciting. So mm-hmm. we thank everyone out there. For sure, man. And as is customary, we have a little topic we like to discuss before we uh, bring the interview to you and generally and, these are yeah go ahead. oh sorry i wanted i wanted oh, to butt in here so i can tell, I can tell. So, so our our topic of the day we're going to talk a little bit about basic songwriting because my boy isaac here is he's just you know taking all of this social media and getting out there and he put a post on reddit 
and then he texted me and it was just absolute buzzing like there were so many forgive me if i'm wrong here subreddits of like different little things where people were kind of talking about your post right or you can talk about it more because now i just sound like a it just got a lot of a lot of upvotes to what i normally get and normally the subreddit is the page you're on what are you talking about it's just comments it got it got quite a bit okay it's all right it's quite dalton's not on reddit which it's fine bro reddit noob clearly yeah it's uh it got quite a bit of and i just comments like oh cool like people were asking me questions it's basically and actually this is a good point to share for and it's been kind of racking in my head a little bit for anybody that's you know we talk about about instagram a lot TikTok comes up here and there which dalton has mixed feelings about Um, i'm on TikTok though so yeah i'm I'm doing it he's posting he's posting but um reddit is a different kind of animal because um, people really don't like spammy things out there and they even consider like if you put up a YouTube tutorial There are so many that I don't see those getting a lot of clicks. What does well is like uh, Not even reposting blocks if you post like a little article like people write all kinds of guides for all kinds of subjects I've seen gamers post Walkthroughs I've seen musicians post little guides for production how to get a good kick sound a good 808 kind of th- kind of thing So that kind of got my idea going. I was like why don't I just write a little music theory guide? And it's it's it started with one post, which we did good. The second one did really well. The third, it got comments and stuff, and it's doing. I'm just gonna keep it going. Um, I'm having a lot of fun, and I I think uh for somebody that maybe doesn't want to do video necessarily, and you're good at writing, I think it's a good alternative. Um, wow, Did, yeah, wow, a, a plug for Reddit. Oh my yeah. god. Well, it's just it's a different one, and I I kind of forgot because. One of the things I think I really got out of college was learning how to write, and I actually quite fell in love with it. I, I really like writing. So Isaac is a good writer, if uh, anybody out there is curious. You, he... you wouldn't expect it from the way I talk, like, 95% of the time. You get it from, like, the one word I used to describe Dalton at the beginning, and that's it. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I curse word. a lot. Yeah, I, I curse a lot. You know, it's, it's not, not the most eloquent. Um, but long story short... I started with one post, which was about harmonizing a melody, and I'm talking like 500 words or less. Mm-hmm. The second one was about uh, harmonizing a baseline, inversions, very like, very fundamental thing. I didn't die, you know, you could always dive deep into like anything. And then the third one was about writing chord progressions, which kind of kicked off today's topic about uh, songwriting and you know things like that. But anyway, the, the Reddit. Check it out if, if you if you're looking for an alternative way to maybe get on the socials. I think it's it's been pretty cool um, lately, and I'll I'll give you an update in about I don't know a month or so to tell you how it's going. Right but on. up to today's topic, why don't you kick this off so I take a break from talking? <laughs> All right, okay. So songwriting, um, there this. This could be a podcast that could go on for ninety hours for like the next. Let's keep 40 the fundamental, years. maybe. But fundamentals, yeah. But the fundamental, especially like if somebody is new or is like, "Hey, I kind of want to make my own stuff. Where do I start?" Um, I think obviously a good place to start is you can see what other people do. One, it's just like, all right, if you're curious about writing songs or music, and you kind of like have your like few jams, you know, that you like playing. Like first, I would say branch out, see what other people are doing. That's a good start. Um, that might be 
something that you don't want to dive too deep into because lots of people do different things and aren't necessarily, you know, music theory correct. But it's still cool to just kind of see what other people do, especially who you like. I mean, like, I like all the flamenco guys. So kind of like finding out their chords and when they throw in those whole tone scales, oh my God, I get so excited. <laughs> but if you're new, like there's there's the Trinity that Western music's based off of, which is tonic, subdominant, and dominant, which is a one, a four, and a five chord. Um, I think that's a great place to start, especially if you're somebody who wants to write songs. Um, probably not everybody like good tools to have are like a piano or a guitar because those are, you know, polyphonic instruments. Um, they play chords. Not saying that if you play the trumpet, don't write songs. Like obviously you can, um, but it's nice to just see that with those chords because you have your your one, four, five. And then my next piece of advice would be don't get stuck in the same keys. You know, as far as that, like you have your one, four, and five, but try to play them and you can play them in all 12 keys just so you can get used to voicing chords in different ways and kind of navigating those instruments and knowing that different instruments have keys that they like better. You know, if you're a guitarist, as an example, we really like, like say G. So we'd have G, C, and D. And then what if I wanted to write a song for the band world and in the band world, they start with all the flat keys normally. And I write G, C, and D for my flute players who've been playing for a few years. They'll probably get confused. Like it'd be good for me to navigate to like B flat major so that it's more comfortable for them. Um, so that's what I would, I would say. What would you say though? Yeah, I would, I would size up. Cause I think this is interesting because we, approach this very differently we come from two very different genres two very different guitar worlds as you know dalton is your uh is based in classical music and i'm just a, a bum rock player um but i think for to piggyback off of what you said or expand on what you said um for anybody that hasn't checked out dalton stuff you you should because you, i think it's important that you try and find your thing and not that you're gonna find it right away uh, especially if you're just kind of getting started but Dalton, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you approach harmony in a very, not straightforward, but like, you know, you use tonal harmony, you know, that that's apparent in your playing where you're not like throwing too many funky chords in there. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. You're saying I follow the rules. Yeah. You're following the rules. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, yeah, like I, I like to for the most part, if there's a dominant seventh chord of some part, I like to resolve it. Um, I don't kind of try to do things that are too outside of the box unless they're like something that's guitaristic as far as like sliding chords that you know you probably don't slide chords as much on other instruments but guitarists like that's kind of what we do mm -hmm. so yeah i do like to follow rules and slide chords um, which that's kind of not what other people do right but you're i think where dalton's uh style and, and songwriting comes across is in the technique that he uses not only the classical stuff because obviously there's many voices going on at once, but Dalton is quite percussive with his playing and his compositions and pieces are more, I guess you can call them more pop oriented because you get mm -hmm. a very catchy melody. You're going over like a chord loop and things like that. You kind of get the, the verse chorus type, the pop form thing going on. So like, I feel like your style shines 
in a different way where like if somebody was just strumming those chords maybe they kind of fall into the noise of like well this is just a straightforward one so you kind of got you know that's where the creativity comes because you play a one four five like nobody else plays a one four five you know what i mean yeah you gotta throw in some harmonics you right. gotta, yeah, all you gotta kind hit of, the guitar all you kinds gotta of do things. some scratches you right. gotta you know, so. you gotta voice the chords a little differently. That's why mm -hmm. guitar is fun. You can voice chords like endless ways. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I think that's something to take into account. If you're thinking like looking for an example of what that might look like, I would say check out uh, his YouTube channel where you can see and hear what he's doing, and you know, taking like the the rules and kind of just running with them in a completely, for what I've seen, new direction. I haven't seen many people do that. Um, oh, I, Isaac likes my guitar playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got you got one fan, bro. Uh, <laughs> the the um, biggest fan. <laughs> but in in my on my end, and I'm gonna approach this from what I really like because, like I I approach like the songs that I write are more like um like they're very riff based, so they're not mm. following rules. And I, if you were to see a transcription on it. You're like this is the most boring song ever. He's on the one chord the whole time, you know. <laughs> He's like technically, if you were to like maybe take some riffs that like, oh, the whole verse is just like like a G minor chord. But if you were to listen to it, like technically, I'm playing those notes, and that's where I think it's very useful that you know the rules, and they can help you in in many different ways. But don't like I I try to never sacrifice what like my natural like intuitions and what I really like like the styles that I really like I try not to sacrifice that for for the rules or like oh well they said I gotta go to the four and then I gotta go to the five you know like I for me I view it as like options so I might have a mm -hmm. riff that's like in G minor the whole time but the way it's shining maybe it's a distorted guitar it's a what I think is a cool riff you know just like uh very identifiable i just like the way it's you know it's grooving and so i just keep it going but then where i've, I've seen students have trouble it's like maybe you don't need a lot of music theory for that to come up with like a cool idea but i mm -hmm. feel like where music theory comes in handy is we're like okay i need to expand this idea and i kind of think about it like maybe if you had a, a, a motif you know like how are you gonna you need some tools to expand it you can put it through a sequence you can change the notes, maybe imply another harmony. You can, you know, you can, but then you you have options, and not necessarily that you need to follow the rules. Because I would say that I don't usually follow tonal harmony rules, you know. But I'm aware of what I'm trying to create. You know, like if I think of tonal harmony as trying to create, you know, stability, tension, and release. And like, what if I just want to stay in tension for a little longer, and then go to a subdominant instead of the tonic you know something like that why not right i mean i think if you're aware of what the intent was you can met you can mess with it a little a little more and you see i think a lot of pop artists do that like in reggae you see like a one going to a five to a four and they think about like well what is reggae trying to do it's like the opposite of building tension they're trying to chill out you know mm -hmm. and things like that so it may, it, in my head, at least, it makes sense that, that or they would bad, do that. Bad Moon Rising is like a song I think of that's one five four. Mm -hmm. Very, yeah, very. Which yeah, it, it kind of has the opposite effect, right? Of obviously of a one four five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. so different. It's one five four <laughs> instead of one four five. But the mood is different because it's you don't get that cadence from uh, like a five to one is very like you know it's very definitive. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's how mo how moody do you want to be? 
Yeah, and right? it depends on what your music's trying to convey. Mine is like, I feel like a mix of punk and post post punk and like some with synthy stuff in it, you know. And and so some so it's just like. And that being said, I think also there are traditions in every genre, and sure. sometimes these traditions don't have anything to do with uh, tonal harmony rules, you know. So like a lot of post uh punk goes like they just, a lot of times they hang out they just go from one to three like back and forth and it's like that vibe you know yeah no gosh now i'm, I'm thinking so hard about this now <laughs> um yeah no i think yeah it depends i mean first like if you're new to it just i mean as isaac said or what i said you could do both like kind of pick something i mean you can obviously go old school and go one four five and play around uh, you can find like a riff and kind of use that and then maybe experiment with it between a couple chords um yeah but it's it's interesting because like with the the tappy guitar whatever you want to call it finger style percussion is it like the goal is to have like a simple song that if there weren't all the moving parts of harmonics and taps like the song's actually extremely boring like, right, like if you saw it, it on paper or something. Yeah, like yeah. if you saw on paper, like sometimes like when I'm trying to control, okay, here's something that I've been doing. Um, Like when you're tapping the guitar that much, it's just like how do you do vibrato? How do you do the other musical stuff that you normally like to focus on when you're not trying to use the guitar as a percussive box? Mm -hmm. Um, So like I'll play it without the percussion and I kind of just like sing the percussion as I go. And I'm in the back of my head, I'm just like, bro, there's like, four chords and all the melody is chord sounds and it's simple <laughs> but then you have other moving parts whereas when i'm trying to experiment with flamenco music there's lots of like harmonies and things that like make you think in other ways and then you show me like you're like dude check out this punk riff and at first i'm like bro there's two chords you're like but but just listen to those two chords and what they're saying and what they're doing and the grunge i'm like all right so there's lots of there's lots of things to do um, I have a lot more to say, but maybe not today because like, I don't know, I don't want to be here all day. Well, this I mean, could, I could be here this... all day, but maybe <laughs> you listening out there, you're like, I don't want to hear Dalton talk all day that, uh, yeah. I got things to do. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that could, that could be said, but, um, we'll now, leave that for some other time. But on a final note, before we go over and talk to Phoebe, um, yeah, if you're interested in songwriting, just try it. I think that's the big thing as well. Like people, I don't know what to do. I'm like, just do something. Like, you mm -hmm. know, some chords, like just play. Like if it sounds weird, like that's okay. Like not everything that you're going to do is going to be like mm -hmm. the next biggest song ever. It's just like, try it, see what you like or don't like. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, I think uh, uh, to that, it's a muscle that, that you have to work. I, I think sometimes people freeze a little bit. They overthink mm -hmm. it or they think, oh, I need to learn more and, I'm like do do what you do what you can with what you have right now and I, I try to encourage students like dude you should be writing from like whatever level if you know two chords right if you know one skill right if you know two skill you know whatever just mm -hmm. write because it's a different muscle that you're working oh yeah for sure mm -hmm. all right well that being said we're gonna close the topic of the day and bring our guests on so now on the Not Your Avid Musician, we have Phoebe Clark, who she is a double bassist currently studying music at the Royal College of Music in London, England. 
she has accumulated an Instagram following of almost 8,000 people where she connects with her community by sharing content such as lessons, collaborations with other musicians, gigs, a practice journal, and insights into the Royal College of Music. Welcome to the podcast, Phoebe Clark. How's it going today? It's going good. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So let's just dive right into it. Why don't you tell everybody, um, you know, a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you're about? Yeah, sure. So my name is Phoebe Clark and I'm originally from Melbourne in Australia. I've been living in London in the UK for I think just over seven years now. Um, I've been playing double bass since the age of about 12 and I'm now in my third year undergraduate at the Royal College of Music in London. Um, my aim is to become a professional orchestral double bassist and I love teaching other people, inspiring other people and it's such a fun process. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I also play flute a bit. Um, that was my first instrument but yeah I mainly spend most of my time practicing and without COVID normally doing gigs as well. Awesome. And could you maybe tell us, like, you know, going back a little bit, what motivated you to just get started with double bass in the first place? And, you know, what kind of, I know you talked a little bit about it, what kind of keeps you going these days? Yeah, so um, when I started double bass, it was at high school in Australia, and we were showing a whole lot of other instruments. And I thought, you know, I'm going to play the cello. The cello looks beautiful. I saw the double bass, and I was like, this is massive. And the first thing that the guy who was playing it played was the Jaws. He just played a semitone and it was just like, Badum! and I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I just thought it was so exciting. Um, so I started playing it then. And at first it was really challenging. I didn't know what to do. I was used to pressing buttons on the flute. Um, so it was well for me to get into it. And when I swapped teachers, when I came over to the UK, uh, she just made me love it. She made me inspired by it. She gave me some cool pieces to play. And yeah, I think there's so many opportunities for double basses, um, especially in London. There's, you know, eight double basses in a symphony orchestra. So, you, you know, there's lots of chances of you getting jobs, um, of being able to play. And playing orchestrally is just the most exciting thing for me. I could not be a musician unless I was playing in orchestras, um, which, you know, you don't see many double bass soloists. So that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I reckon that's, that's what motivates me. And at the moment, it's difficult not being able to play with other people because that's the most exciting thing. However, I've had to play by myself. I've learned how to become more of a soloist and be more confident in my own playing. So I think that's one of the benefits of COVID. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like how you touch on lots of people miss playing with other musicians. I mean, I'm teaching high school on Zoom and the kids miss it so much. And I play solo guitar music. So it's like the one time I'm not relating to other musicians, but as you said, and my kids and lots of people, they're just like, I miss playing with people. Um, something I wanna ask about. So you said the bass is massive and I'm just always fascinated watching a bass player navigate the fingerboard of a double bass. Uh, I was wondering if there's any like calibration between the hands and how large the steps are between notes like is there like a practice method or something because 
I mean, on a guitar, the neck is small. On a flute, you're playing and it's right there. But it's like, all right, I have my one step. And then the next note is feels like it's on the other side of the world. So is there any like practice tools or methods so you can actually navigate like the the biggest fingerboard in music? I think that's the, the same could be said about trombone. Same kind of thing where like, how, how are you supposed to know where the notes are? How are you supposed to judge these massive steps? And this is why it can sometimes be really hard to find double basses that can play perfectly in tune. Um, because we are, we're just trying to move so far between one note to the other. We use positions when we're playing, um, from half position, first position, second position, etc. Um, when we get past the neck joint where um, the neck comes down, it goes into thumb position. So you see our hand shape changes. Um, but it depends what country you're from. So in Italy, they play differently. They play with all four fingers separated, a semitone in between each, whereas we play more like that in the UK. It, it really depends. It's a very personal thing. It depends how big your hands are. Um, there are some people who have very small hands who they just have to play how they can play. There's no other way you can do it, you know? Um, so it's one of the biggest challenges, I'd say, about playing the bass. Um, you don't realize until you do it, and a lot of violinists wouldn't have any clue quite how far we have to jump from one note to the other, which is why solo music is sometimes slightly impossible. Um, so yeah, I think it's really interesting talking to other musicians about it because, you know, you just, you get the feel for it as you do with any instrument. You know, it's not like you look at your frets all the time when you're playing. You feel the instrument, you know where you're moving to. Um, I wouldn't call it muscle memory, but I would just say you get so in tune with your own instrument that it becomes second nature. So yeah, I'm still working on it myself, but um, it's definitely a big challenge with double bass. Right on. We live in a, well, I mean, I'm in New York and, um, I've seen a lot of double bass players, but in the jazz in the jazz um, world, and every every time I see a bass player just walking bass, I'm like, good god! And then that, and also like just traveling in the subway from gig to gig, it always seems like a like you're in it, you're in it to win it because it's, it's yeah, it looks like a lot. It's funny that um most people, I mean, the common thing you get asked is just like, how do you carry it around? How do you transport it? Don't you get sick of it? Isn't it heavy? Um, and it's like if you, you do anything for the instrument you love, you know, and obviously I have wheels for mine and you do get sick of people saying, don't you wish you played the flute? It's like, I do play the flute. Thank you for asking. <laughs> but I mean, it's not a heavy instrument. It's just very awkward. It's big. Um, and you're just worried about it breaking most of the time as you are with any instrument. The, the hardest thing about traveling with it is worrying about people bashing into it. You know, if people push prams into them or try and grab it when you're going up the stairs and they've got the best intentions but it's like no this is an expensive instrument please don't <laughs> please don't touch it <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's no carbon fiber cases out there for a double bass that would be there are oh there, that's, there are that's how you fly that's how you fly with bases but they are massive and they're heavy as you can imagine because they're just you know they're fiberglass they're absolutely massive so you only want to travel with that if it's not in your hands if a machine is carrying it for you. So, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so a lot of our guests, like they've always, you know, mentioned that like social media is like important for musicians nowadays. So it's something we've started to ask a little more because it's important. And sometimes Dalton and I have talked about how it's not something that's maybe gets talked about at university or music school a whole lot in it's important and it's always changing. It's, it's kind of this weird new thing that everybody's still kind of getting used to. 
And uh, so we were kind of curious about what um, your approach maybe has been for like growing on social media and maybe what your thoughts are on the subject for, you know, just musicians in general. Yeah, of course. Um, I started posting my bass playing um, on the 1st of January 2020, so kind of just before the pandemic took off. And I did it first privately and I didn't, I only had like a few of my friends following it. And it was just a way for me to try and gain confidence and to get used to recording myself because it's something most musicians hate doing. Uh, you don't want to listen to yourself that minutely. You don't want to judge yourself that hard, as helpful as it is. Um, and I started doing this and said, I'm just going to post one minute video every single day and see what happens. And after a few months, I'm like, okay, I'll take it off private now. I made it public. And I just started to get a lot of comments from people and likes. And I think because I got so used to just posting my raw footage of me making mistakes or playing something over and over again. Um, people were really comforted by that. And they look at you and go, oh, you know, I'm at somewhere which is quite like really prestigious for a college of music. And they're just like, oh, you know, she can make mistakes. <laughs> she makes mistakes all the time. Um, and I don't know. It's made me so much more confident with my playing because I'm not the only one that does this. And I follow so many of my friends who do the exact same thing. And yeah, I think the best way that's helped me, helped me is with my confidence, but also realizing that I can learn so much more from other people. Um, and there's a really big support platform. The amount of I've met, the amount of other musicians I've met who, I don't know, it's, it's different. It's very different to real life. And there's a different generation of people. Um, I would call it, we call it the Facebook generation. Um, me and my friends, there's a very um, different group of people on Facebook to Instagram, in my opinion. And on Instagram, it seems, fresh supportive um, we like to talk tons about what we're doing and the different ways we're doing it um, we don't talk much about the older um, people who have been legends in the past we talk more about the people who are legends like right now um, whereas on Facebook they would they'd have no idea who we're talking about so I find it really interesting yeah I'm super super proud of what I've managed to achieve so far on Instagram and I don't know why people enjoy following so much like I think I've got around seven and a half thousand followers and to think about that in like in a concert hall is insane and I think that's the way I try and think about it but if they were all watching me in a concert it would be crazy so yeah I'm, I'm super happy and I'm still blown away by it awesome super super cool um, something else. So you're talking about traveling with the bass and I want to be filled in because I've been told, you know, through the grapevine of the bass world that sometimes you bass people are friends with other bassists. Like if you do have to travel um, because it's maybe the largest instrument, maybe besides the piano, I don't think people travel with pianos. If they do, they can message me and tell me like you're wrong, Dalton. But is it like that? Are you guys a tight-knit community where if you had to go somewhere that's hard to travel with a bass, you guys have friends? And is it kind of weird adjusting to somebody else's bass if you do that? Kind of. So I'm curious what you guys are like. We're very close-knit, I think, especially. I can only speak on behalf of the London community. Um, but we're very close-knit, and it's often you'll do a gig with a few people, and you'll all end up on the same tube. And there'll be three bases, three people, and the looks that you get are just crazy because people are so confused. They're like, what's happening? This little groupie. Um, but we definitely all take care of our own instrument. And 
often than not, if you're traveling with another basis, you just have to hold on to your own things and hope that nothing goes wrong. Obviously, you do feel safety in numbers. Um, I've been lucky enough not to fly with my base before. Whenever I've traveled to Europe, been taking buses or trailers on buses. Um, and I feel much more comfortable putting it in a road vehicle than a plane because there are so many horror stories of people in like sitting in the plane watching their base being chucked onto the tarmac um, in its case and just shattering. And I process that. I think that's too much to deal with. Um, so you can still obviously things happen on the tube or going up the stairs or the escalators. Um, and I've had someone drop my base, lean it against the bus before and it just you just watch it in slow motion just falls to the ground. Um, so I don't know. It's it's the run and I try to drive anywhere as much as possible. Um, but you know, if you're going to gigs, that's not always possible. And London is a really, I don't know, quite a small place. So you do want to get public transport, it's easy. Um, but no, it's really fun traveling with other basis because I just think the looks you get are just priceless. People are so confused. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun. Right on. A cultural question. What's the what's the tube? So the tube is, I think, the me metro. Is that oh, what you okay. call it. So, yeah. um, all the underground trains that run through London. So you can't. They're either downstairs, which is another problem of like traveling with the base because you have to walk downstairs with a stool. So I sit down. So you're carrying a stool in your base and you go downstairs, or the escalators, or the lifts. Um, it's never as easy as just walking on. So yeah check okay gotcha also the tube compared to the new york city subway the metro is much nicer and cleaner and happier and really anywhere oh, yeah. that's not new york city i've seen other like just other countries and it's just new york city i'm like it's it's just not good it's old and it's dirty and it's a hostile place <laughs> to try. i mean there. yeah on on the tube like really talks to each other. I think that's a nice thing of having the instrument because there's a talking point. Um, I, in my opinion, quite a lot of British people just, they do their job, they get on the train, they stare at their phone and they don't want to talk to you. Um, but occasionally, you know, when you have the and you're smiling, you know, they want to chat to you and, and it's nice. But yeah, the tube is still, it's a very quiet place, but it's pretty clean, pretty clean. I'll give that to London. That's, that's all. That's definitely, I wish. I wish it was just it's here. It was just a little bit clean, but it's not. But anyway, um, can you can you tell us about this project that you have going? Um, is it bassist with boobs? Is that correct? That would be it. Yeah. Okay. So bassist with boobs was set up by me and my friends, Adrian Evangeline, and we all identify as bassist with boobs. So we all identify as women and we found that we couldn't find all of these women basis on Instagram or on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, we're used to growing up in a world where we've only ever seen big, strong men playing the bass. Um, and, you know, obviously you want to be inspired by people. So they're the videos that we watched and we really want to create a space for um, different underrepresented genders. So obviously not just women, so boobs or no, um, where they can share their work and make themselves known in the community so that hopefully people start to see all of these different people that they've never seen before. Um, and yeah, that's mainly what we do. We want to create a really supportive environment, a community of people, not just um, for themselves, but other people to watch them. Um, that we have a, amazing support from other men and other bass players um, who really just want to help us share the platform. So it's growing qu quite large and we're really, really proud of it. 
but there's so many amazing bass players who are scared to put themselves out there who feel like it's not their place who feel like they're not good enough and they're heartbreaking um because it's not true it's not true at all you can take one school through the page and there are so many amazing musicians so yeah i'm really proud about where it's gone so far that's awesome and yeah. that's yep go ahead oh oh we're gonna fight isaac here <laughs> uh no it, it's it's always interesting with that i mean especially with like high school kids who are getting used to playing for the first you know maybe a few years in their playing lives uh just saying that like sometimes there's certain instruments where it's more of like a feminine or masculine instrument and like we play guitar and lots of the guitar world like all right i want to be a rock star like i want to be like the next jimmy paid and we're just like no like if you're a girl and you want to shred like who cares like you can do it you're gonna sound great and it's so good that you're shedding light on a supportive community for the massive double bass and you're like you know what you can be a lady you can be short you can have these little hands and you can shred too so like why not so it's a pretty cool project 100%. yeah and obviously it you i never want a place there is no blame and i i really dislike when people are just like you know it's it's the men's fault for not creating the space it's blah 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 um there's so much to be said for just making other people feel more confident about themselves if you know you're not going to get women in an orchestra unless they audition for the orchestra and they're not going to audition for the orchestra if they don't feel confident enough in their own playing. Um, so I think that's the main thing. You've got to target it somewhere else. You've got to make them feel good enough. Um, you just can't go, oh, well, this orchestra is not letting them in because I don't think that's a good way to go about it, really. Um, it's making it supportive. And like you say, there is this kind of feminine, masculine energy most instruments, which is so bizarre. Um, and, you know, most instruments started from men playing them and obviously that's a really old thought um but it's it's really odd that we're still dealing with that and I, I wouldn't even think about it on guitar like that would never cross my mind I mainly think about it um from a classical sense for brass players um and for double basses but uh, I think we're at the age now where it's kind of like come on <laughs> come on guys like this shouldn't still be a thing we should walk into an orchestra and not be surprised if there's a, a section of female bassists but it's very surprising at the moment um so yeah. What's cool that you've taken it upon yourself. I like that you said that or that it's not productive to kind of blame all this orchestras not letting not letting it in because you can't really control that, but you've kind of just taken it upon yourself and almost like a responsibility, which is it, pretty cool. I, I think that's super dope. Yeah, it's, I mean at the end of the day it's an expressive tool. Like anybody can use it. Um but something that besides that the, I was curious about. So you're from Australia and you live in London studying music. What what was like kind of the drive? That's a pretty big move. I mean, it's kind of like, like a continent island and now you're in Europe on another little island, a much smaller island. And I'm just curious if you had like any you know, like what, what motivation that you're like, all right, I'm going to do this and what has kept you going to be so far away. And if anybody's out there is like, Hey, I want to study music somewhere completely different. Like you have, like, what would you tell them going into it? Yeah. So I'm actually over here because we moved to my dad's work. So I was at the young age of 13 when we came over um, and we were only going to come over for a year and we were just going to stay for a bit, have some fun. 
and then go back to Australia. And the longer we stayed here, it got to about three years and we're just like, this is, we're still here. Um, so we had to look into schooling. I was being home educated with my brother and sister because my mum's a teacher. Um, so I really got the opportunity to immerse myself in my practice and start to think about becoming a serious musician, which is something you don't get a lot at school, especially in the UK. They're very academically forced. And if it's not going to get you some good grades, if it's not going to get you into a really good university, then they don't want to hear it. Um, so I was lucky enough to have that supportive kind of, you know, you can do what you want. If you want to do music, then practice. But it was definitely obviously a, a big decision for us to decide, you know, where do we want to go? Because the moment you get you start at university, you're obviously stuck there for a few years. Um, but Australia, I love Australia so much, but it's definitely very separated from the rest of the world. And in London, it is so easy to travel places. You just hop on a plane and, you know, within an hour, you're in everywhere in Europe. Um, so that was a, definitely a big, a big factor in it. Um, and in Australia, there's probably only about four or five major orchestras because everywhere is so spread out. So in terms of work for me to start my career, here would be easier. Um, so I'm able to join all of these orchestras and do gigs every weekend with different people and not have to rely on maybe a teaching job just at the start of my career. Um, so it's definitely, I can see myself moving back to Australia further down the line once I've, once I've got that skill, once I'm talented enough to get into those big name orchestras. I don't want to stop learning until I'm good enough to do that. You know, I have, I have a lot of high expectations for myself and I would love to make it into these big name orchestras. So I think London's the best place to do that for me right now. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you tell us about why you chose the uh, Royal College of Music and, and kind of maybe some of the things that you like about it? I've, I'm just, I'm curious. It's a, well, first off, it's a baller baller place and at least like in, in the united states baller would mean like super awesome cool i don't know if you guys use that word out there but we definitely don't use it no. <laughs> all right you're gonna start a trend um i think obviously the name itself is quite like damn um but you know it's just the name it's just the same as other universities we we call them conservatoires so music colleges um I auditioned for five. I auditioned for Unity Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance, Guildhall School of Music and Drama, um, Royal Birmingham Conservatoire, Royal Academy of Music and Royal College of Music. Um, I got into all of them except for Royal Academy. Um, and the way that I went about it was doing trial lessons with all the professors, with all the different ones, which is pretty standard way of choosing your music college in the UK. Um, because the most important thing is your professor. So you want to make sure that the person who's teaching you your instrument is going to teach you well enough that you want to keep playing that instrument. Um, so that was the biggest motivation behind it. So my professor is Peter Buckoak, and he's also an Alexander Technique professor. Um, so he's very focused on the use of body, the use of mind, and making sure that you're doing things as effortlessly as possible. Um, and he was also my previous teacher's teacher. So it was carrying on from this school of thought and my kind of developed from that. But Royal College itself is just beautiful. It's a beautiful building. It's old. It kind of looks like Hogwarts slightly from the outside. Um, it's right in the heart of London in South Kensington. It's across from Hyde Park, which is the most beautiful park, across from the Royal Abbott Hall, one of my favourite concert halls in the UK. 
Um, and it was just an obvious choice for me. I dreamed of studying there, going to see the Poms Festival, which I don't know if you know about um, the music festival every runs for two months in the UK um, with all of the big name orchestras. And I just remember going to the Poms and looking across at the Royal College of Music, like, yeah, I'm going to go there. And I was lucky enough to get a place. So I worked really hard and I'm super, super happy to be there. And I'm hoping to do my postgraduate there as well once I finish my undergraduate. Awesome. And I guess to piggyback off of that, because Dalton is from the classical world. I'm a outcast in this because I'm a, I'm a rock guitar player. So I, <laughs> I play power chords and that's how, and that's how I make my living. Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit about what it's like to audition for an orchestra and what the process is like? And I know you talked earlier about like, you know, being confident is a big thing and maybe give your thoughts on that process. Yeah, sure. So when you're auditioning for orchestras, I've played in a lot of youth orchestras, which are obviously mainly to do with schools and things. So that's not so high pressure. But when you, sorry, when you audition for orchestras, um, depending on the orchestra, you go through a few rounds. So the audition is the main thing. So you turn up, you play some orchestral excerpts. So that will be different sections from different pieces, which might be in the program for the year or might just be standard orchestral excerpts. Um, and then you'll play a solo piece and you normally have a pianist accompany you. So they're looking for different aspects of your playing. They're looking to see if you can create a big fat sound, which you'd expect from the double bass. So something which would carry across through the concert hall, but they're also seeing if you can play beautiful melodies and if they might put you as a soloist if you ever need to, which is very rare as a double bassist. Um, but they want to know that you can do everything. And that's why they ask you to do different excerpts so that your playing isn't just one tone. If you sounded the same in all of those, there's not a chance you're going to get a job. Um, they're, I mean, they're quite high pressure and chances are everyone there you're going to know because there's not so many players in, in London. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a scary prospect for a lot of musicians. And the people who are on that panel are going to carry that audition as what you sound like. And they're going to use that, go and talk to someone else and say, I heard this person, this is what they sounded like. So you really don't want to stuff up. Because you want some good playing to be under your name. Um, so I think a lot of people wait until they feel very confident to audition because you don't want to get a bad, a bad audition under your name because it, it will carry on and other people will hear about it. So yeah, it's, it's fairly stressful, but it's definitely the life of a musician and sometimes more often than not, if you don't get into an orchestra, it's because you're not a right fit for them. So you just got to go and audition for another one. So yeah. Mm, like first nice. impressions. And then you, you guys are the, the panels, do they do blind auditions or do they know who you are? It depends on the orchestra. So I'm pretty sure they're more common in the US than they are over here. Um, and a lot of people have very mixed opinions about them because in most cases they'll do blind auditions for the first two rounds and then the last round they'll take the screen down. So that kind of begs the question, well, why do it in the first place then? And we're at the stage now where equality is so important that you, you want to choose. You, you need to go, you know, we need to represent everyone in this orchestra. We need to make a difference. So sometimes you do want to go, you know, if you have two people of the same standard, pick the girl or pick the person who you wouldn't necessarily go for um, and to understand these things and realize it's not, it's not a bad thing. Um, and they're going to, people are going to feel eternally grateful for it and it's going to make a big difference. Um, 
but no, I think there's a lot of orchestras that don't do blind auditions. Um, Cause you want to see how someone looks in the orchestra. Um, if you're very animated, normally quite helpful. And most musicians are quite animated. Um, if you're, you know, sticking your tongue out the whole time you're playing, or you're looking really bored, or you're looking really angry, sometimes it's not for the face of their orchestra. Um, they also want to know what your personality is like. They want to know that if they put you in the section, you're not going to argue with everyone. So I don't know. There's so many aspects to, to being an orchestral musician. Um, yeah. Nice. Do you guys still play? Uh, and I could be completely wrong here. Do you guys play Figaro as one of your uh, opening yeah. excerpts? Yeah, definitely. I've played that in my college. We have orchestral auditions every year at college to place us in our projects throughout the year. So we have um, the Symphony Orchestra, Philharmonic Orchestra, and we have lots of chamber stuff as well. And in order to place us within the section and decide what we want to play, we have an orchestral audition. And I had um, that this year. So yeah, there's there's a lot of different things. It's our Beethoven, Verdi, or we do Shostakovich. Um, they mix it up a lot. And yeah, that's definitely one of them. <laughs> nice. I just like hear that in the back of my head. I know uh, bassist and bassoonist, like that's like something they're like, yeah, I'm just going to play this until I die because like I have to. So that's dope. Um, something I wanted to ask was, are there any non-musician like non or musical skills that you think you need to succeed in the industry? I, there's tons of them. I think that first things you're taught by your teachers is that you just, you've got to be nice to everyone. Like you're not going to get anywhere if you're mean. <laughs> um, and I think I try and push it as much as I can at the moment that you've just got to support people. And if you turn up to a gig and you're smiling and you're friendly and it just gets you so far and people want to hire you not just because you're a great musician but because you're personable because because they want to spend time with you and they want to introduce you to people and it just works in, in cycles you know if that person likes you they'll pass you on to someone else and they'll pass you on to someone else and that's ultimately if you're free that's how you get gigs um so i think there's a lot to be said for being confident and being happy and trying as much as you can, even if you're not feeling up to it, just smiling and putting on a brave face. Um, so I really feel for people who that doesn't come naturally to because it is a massive part of being a musician. Um, so it's some of the things which people will falter with and then not feel confident enough to go for jobs because they don't they don't want to talk to people in that way. But it's it's really challenging, but I think it's really important. I think it's very important. And most of my, my good friends who are very successful are just the most lovely, bubbly people. Um, so, yeah, I try as much as I can to be one of those people. Yeah, cool. Well, I guess with the exception of Dalton, music is a very social activity. But Dalton knew early on, he was like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to do solo guitar. Yeah, I guess guitars or solo guitar is weird. Um, there's a guy who he went to the Royal Academy. He died recently, Julian Bream, who like guitar is so weird where they used to not let it be studied in college and he actually had to play the cello. So I don't know if you you heard about that guy, but it's just funny uh, that guitar, they're like, the guitar is an orchestra. You're trying to play all the parts. So like, it's so funny when you're like, oh, we're all bubbly, we're all friends. And then like, it's like kind of like, it's probably not as polar as like the pianist that plays like 10 hours a day all by themselves. But like, 
then there's like the poor little guitar and it's quiet so nobody can hear it and then we're all by ourselves so like the whole I know like, quite I know quite a few guitarists and know them at college or from academy or mutual friends and they're just so lovely and to be fair I don't get why people would have that view on them I met a guitarist on my first day of freshers and he was for a while and obviously he kind of the same thing where he's like I'm just in the practice room by myself most of the time um and obviously all the guitarists are good friends with each other but you know they don't really see anyone they don't play in orchestras they don't play a lot of chamber music so no I find it interesting we're on our own planet that's hilarious yeah we're nice though you're right we are cool um, when when we do decide to leave the practice room and hang out, they're like, who's that guy? Like, oh, he plays guitar. And they're like, oh, he's normal, or hopefully. But yeah, cool. Trying to think. Oh, something I want to ask. This is kind of random. But so you, you said you moved to London when you were 13. And then you're coming from one. So both English speaking countries with kind of I wouldn't say like similar accents, but kind of like sometimes, you know, for people that aren't around people from England or aren't around people from Australia. It's just because we're American. We can't. Yeah, because, you know, know, we're we're not there. Uh, But I'm curious if there's if there's any ever confusion of people like, all right, I meet Phoebe. and like, does she sound like an Aussie or does she sound like somebody from London? Do you ever like are hanging out and sound more English and then drop mate. And they're like, wait, is she from Australia? Like, that's something that I was curious about. Yeah. I think most often than not, I just get, you have an accent. And they just kind of sit there for a second. They're like, do you, do you have one? And I'm like, I think so. And then it's just like trying to process like, what is she? Where is she from? Um, and I think because I was quite young when we moved over, it's kind of merged into the two. And when I talk to my English friends, they say I sound Australian. I talk to my Australian friends. They say I sound English. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of becoming like that Kylie Minogue accent. Her accent is just kind of nothing. It's just, you just kind of can't tell. It's just English. It's it's something with the English language. Um, but it's quite funny. I get all types. I hate being called a Kiwi as much as I love the New Zealand New Zealand people. It's I don't know if it's not the same. Um, I've been called Venezuelan before. I get called South African, um, Lithuanian, and I'm just sitting here like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll roll with that. <laughs> so it's quite a funny one. And there are a few words, especially, which I've had to change. Like um, we say in Australia, thongs, which are flip-flops. But over here, thongs are definitely not flip-flops. Um, we say pants, which I think you say, which is um, over here. Pants are not trousers, they are something entirely different. So I think it's funny, those kind of things, which you try to adapt to very quickly so that people don't tease you. Word. It's like, a, to give you the American version, um, with like, it's called like French fries, which are what you eat with like a hamburger. And then you guys call them, I could be wrong like crisps and then like sometimes like no sorry not crisps chips and then for us chips are like the things that you eat out of the bag like potato chips and then those are crisps and then like there's like four words for the same thing and it gets really confusing really fast in australia we just call everything chips you don't you don't (laughs) have different crisps are chips french fries are chips 
the big chips are chips everything <laughs> we just kind of so i mean you do you just go somewhere and like can i have some chips and then they're just like which ones and you just kind of point but i think that we're definitely the most basic whereas over here yeah we call them i don't know we have we have chips which are your french fries and then yeah. crisps which are chips yeah. but i just think it's so funny how we all speak the same language and it's completely different completely different yeah but kind of kind of speak the same language it just gets some things get lost in there here and there um <clears throat> cool would you have any any advice to start closing up any advice for maybe a young woman out there who's thinking about getting into the orchestral life yeah i'd say if you've just started and you've decided actually like this could be for me um you just have to keep going you have this you have to believe in yourself and you have to try and get as much experience as possible so i would obviously i had the time because i was homeschooled but i would be in you know four or five rehearsals a week with different youth orchestras and that just trained me orchestrally to be a good ensemble player um which is something you really can't gain unless you do it um it takes practice um, the other thing I would just say is that it doesn't matter what level you're at with the double bass, because unlike flute or violin, you don't have to start when you're four years old in order to make it professionally. Um, I started, I I wanted to become a bassist when I was 15, like professionally. I was like, that's when I'm going to do it. So you really don't have to start very early. You just need to be consistent. And the people who choose you in these music colleges or want to be a teacher will choose they see progress. So you don't have to be a polished version. You don't have to be a, an amazing player in order to be successful because it will come. It comes with time, like any instrument, you know, the more you play it, the longer you've played it for, um, the better you get. So I think that's the best advice. You've just got to keep going. Just be proud of yourself and keep going and share your music. That's so important. That's awesome. Phoebe, thank you so much for coming on. Could you tell everybody where uh, they can find you or contact you, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so the main place is on Instagram. My um, username is Phoebe Does Bass, or I'm sure you could say type up Phoebe Clark and you'd find me. I'm also just starting to put some stuff on YouTube. Um, that's the same, so that's Phoebe Does Bass or Phoebe Clark. And yeah, they're the main places. If you want, you can message me on those for emails or anything or lessons, but please get in contact because I just like chatting to people. Um, but yeah, my, the main place, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, yeah. Thank you for giving me the space. This has been so much fun. That was Phoebe Clark, everybody. Um, what a cool, cool person, man. She was really, really fun to hang out with, laid back. And it's super interesting, right, to interview another musician from another country in Mersinan totally different culture and also for me in a totally different world it's a super interesting you know hearing mm -hmm. the orchestral experience yeah for sure i i thought it was my favorite part when she's like you know like what non-musician tip she's like well you gotta be nice to everybody and friendly and all that and then i think of like the guitarist that like just is on their own little planet and i'm just like oh my gosh i was like i need to be not that i need to be nicer to people because as we said once you get the guitarists out of their their shell mm -hmm. like they're cool but like they're kind of living that shell because they play solo music all the time so i'm like i should go out i mean not obviously not right now because 
the only place I can go out is a golf course, which I'm <laughs> stoked about. But like post COVID, like the you should see more guitarists mingling with orchestral folks and rock yeah. folks and mm-hmm. They'll know who we are. We have long nails on one hand. <laughs> That's how you can tell them apart. Why, do you, why does he only have nails on one hand? Well, now you know. Dalton, Dalton broke it broke it down for you. There you um, go. Yeah, man. No, but it was something that I was thinking of. Like, man, how nerve-wracking the audition process sounds. Like, it made me nervous just thinking about it. And I don't even do that. I was like, damn, yeah, it's, a, it's... it's a lot. Yeah, the orchestra world is really tough in that regards as far as having multiple mm-hmm. um, multiple auditions, like multiple rounds. Sometimes they do um, blind auditions, sometimes they don't. She was saying sometimes they're interested in who you are, not just how you play. And mm-hmm. I think it depends on the orchestra. I've heard them um, do it both ways. But yeah, it's, there's a lot of pressure because it's almost like it's almost like you're trying out for like a pro sport team. It's just like we have an opening for, I don't know, a goalie in soccer or hockey or something like that. And there's like one spot or she mm-hmm. said, uh, you know, like six to eight double bassists in an orchestra. So they already have their squad. And then maybe there's like one or two openings. Mm-hmm. So you probably have like a couple hundred people trying to get one or two spots. So yeah, it's well, super and intense. She, she also said, you know, most of the bass players that are auditioning. Oh, yeah. so they're probably your buds. And they're like, yeah. hey, good luck. But, you know. It's you know they still want to get the gig and also like the thing that stuck with me like if you have a bad audition, mm-hmm. um, then she's you know how that kind of might follow you around because you know they people it's a it's a tight community so they talk to each other so if you have some like bad rep or like ah oh, he wasn't he or she wasn't so good in this audition you know next time it's already like in their brain you know with your name that 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 kind of it's kind of messed up. I mean, we'll have I guess to, it is what it is. We'll have to audition for the uh, non-existing um, guitar part in an orchestra, and then Isaac and I will will have a little tussle before an <laughs> audition. <laughs> oh, man, I quit. I don't even – what the hell would I do there? <laughs> I, I don't know. Play power chords. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It was like, oh, why are you doing parallel fists, bro? I'm like, they're called power chords, bro. Yeah, I wonder if the rest is like if you tell an orchestral musician, you're like, I play power chords. They're like, what is that? I mentioned power chords, and I I was like, maybe she doesn't know what that what that is. Is that only a guitar? It's term? a guitar thing, dude. Yeah, right. If and not, that's called a perfect fifth in the rest of the music world. Yeah, which is in the orchestral is no, uh, you know, playing. Uh, yeah, unless you're tuning, you know, because mm-hmm. the. But I mean, I guess bass is tuned in fourths, but like violin, cello, and viola is tuned in fifths. So and they like it then, right? So well, yeah, but you don't hear like parallel fifths in the music. No. Um, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> so, yeah, that's not. a hard. That's a hard no, son. So uh, get out of here with your power chords. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of power chords, and speaking of things that are powerful, not your average <laughs> musician podcast is growing in power growing in numbers which means um <clears throat> you guys are liking it we're liking it as well uh hopefully you're enjoying the guests we're mm-hmm. uh doing doing lots of work to get you know, more like international people like phoebe um different kinds of musicians classical jazz we've done rap and having both girls and guys come on the podcast so mm-hmm. it's been a lot of fun and i'm happy that 
we are doing it and I am grateful if you are listening and hit us up. We're always curious what's going on out there. Yeah. And of course we'll love you forever when you're like, Oh, I like the podcast. I'm like, (laughs) yay. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Later.